Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The name of our church, as you may know, is Jesus Christ Died for You. So talking about uh, exchanging our sin for his righteousness through his death on the cross is so important to us. The foundation scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. And I want to remember, and recall, that reminds me of Luke chapter 4.21, when it talks about when Jesus took the scroll from the tenant was given readings for that day in the synagogue, he says, and today your readings, the scriptures are fulfilled. And they say, what do you mean the scriptures are fulfilled? He say, your captivity and sin is over. You no longer have to be bound by sin or anything, but you are free because I've come into the world, Christ Jesus. Amen. So another scripture that is very uh, close to that is Romans 8, 1 through 3, which I will read. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the first thing that we, it comes to mind to me is something that I've heard a lot. When you're talking about sin and righteousness, is our position versus our walk. So people all the time point out that maybe a Christian will fall short and say, oh, look at that Christian. They did this particular thing that's not necessarily pleasing to God. However, I want to talk about the distinction between our position and our walk. Our position is in Christ, and it is perfect. We're perfect through him because it is in what we are in Christ. When we accepted him, he ended our old life and gave us a new life in Christ. God has made us one with his son. So that's our position. Our position is one of perfection, perfection through Christ. Our daily walk, however, is not perfect and never will be. That's part of our conduct. It's how we live on earth day to day. Some days we do well and pleasing to God, and some days maybe not so much. So it's just important to remember that although we are perfect in Christ, our walk as a human being is never perfect because it depends on us. And as long as we're in our body, our conduct will never be perfect. The one thing I want to bring us back to, in the book, in the Torah, it talks about during the Passover, everybody would bring the best lamb they had to sacrifice on the altar of God. They would slay that lamb, 
sprinkle the blood on the altar and sacrifice it, and one lamb at that time would cover ten sins of a household. But now that Jesus came, we, have, we don't have to slaughter no more lambs because John the Baptist said, behold, he, he told the sons of Zebedee, behold, the lamb of God who's come to take on the sins of the world. He, we must decrease that he must increase. And so I've heard a lot of criticism about the redemption and forgiveness of, uh, that's provided through Jesus' death on the cross. People say, oh, it just can't that be that easy. And, oh, it's just going to make people sin when you say that they're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've even heard people call it, oh, you're just giving people a license to sin. And so I just always try to remind people that I heard people say that, that it's not that we are given a license of sin, but that our sins are covered. However, we must always, always, always stress that we have to strive to live a life of righteousness. We need to be pushing towards a life of holiness every day, every hour, every minute. The scripture that, uh, that I, comes to mind is the, the one that says, What shall I say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, Paul said. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now the Bible tells us in the New Testament, be not conformed to this world, which walk the course of sinfulness and wickedness and darkness. It says in Second Timothy chapter 2, it talks about all the evils, the lust of the eye, pride of life, lust of flesh, and all that stuff. But Jesus said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That don't have the mind of the world, but take on the mind of Christ, the whole salvation of garments of salvation. That's what Paul talks about, putting the whole armor of God so we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And it is, a, it is a hard world out here. The thing that is so comforting to me is that we're loved by God. He says so many times, I, I've loved you with an everlasting love. The scripture that we all know so well, John three sixteen, talks about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. That is a scripture that even people in the world even know that, John three sixteen, And that means that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we do have everlasting life. We have something to look forward to. We have a hope. We have a future. We can live in this world knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we have not ever, any of us, lived this life perfectly, but that we are loved by our God. And so, as Terrence just said, we have to strive for holiness. We're not going to get it right, but we're going to do certain things that are not going to be pleasing to God. We're going to maybe, you know, speak harshly to somebody or not, you know, remember something that we should do out of kindness, but that we, and we do sin and we will sin. If the Bible says we have a propitiation. We have uh, someone to stand in the gap for us, but there's other things that we need to do in the natural. Number one, when we sin or fall short, we should confess our sins to God, First John 1 and 9. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also, number two, should make amends to the persons we may have affected by doing something wrong. 
There's also a scripture that says, uh, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Okay? And then the third thing, we should pray to God to reveal any areas that we need to address because sin is all, all, often, probably always, a sign of some area of our life that we're neglecting or something that we're not paying enough close attention to that we should correct. And, it, and we can do that. We can continue to ask God every day. I, I say these two, three words, God, show me me. Show me me. Show me the things that I'm doing right and things that I'm doing wrong, what I need to do more of, what I need to do less of. And he does that. He shows me. The word says if anyone likes wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to you liberally and upgrade it not. Amen. Jesus said, when Mary ran up, she said, he said, when Mary Martha came to him after the death letter, he said, I am the resurrection, the life. He that believes in me shall not die, but yet shall he live. And that's what he was saying is that everything came through life, came through that resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection life that Jesus lived. By him doing that, it gave us a blood-bought right to reinstate us and reconcile us back to God. Not only reconcile us back to God, but he also became the second Adam, which the first Adam fell in Garden of Eden. So we thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. And also this last thing, Abraham told Isaac, he said, God will provide a lamb for himself, and that is in the book of Genesis. God will provide. He has done that. So let us worship him and let us adore him forever and ever and ever. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55 through 57. Old death, where is your victory? Old, old, well, old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? The singing of the death is in sin, but the power of sin is in the law, is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, blessed be forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. And Amen. we'll turn it back over. God bless each and every one. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. Hello? 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 Okay, I'm sorry. I'm Hello. sorry. I was on, on mute, so she couldn't, you couldn't hear. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Uh, you heard okay, can you all hear me now? Yeah, so we're, we're concluding. Did everybody hear? We were trying to make sure that we didn't go over, so yes. we want, did everyone hear us? Yeah. No, you're okay, fine. Great. You're fine. Okay, we're going to mute now. Thank you. Okay. Can you all hear me? Yes. Can you all hear Minister Buchanan? Yes. We can hear her. Yes. Okay. They can okay. hear you. Okay. Okay. I was uh, just saying that I'm sorry that I didn't get to call you all out because I was saying a selection, but I don't think you heard me. But we thank you, Pastor Terrence and Pamela Wilson from Atlanta, Georgia, Church Jesus for You. We thank you for those words of encouragement 
And I just pray that the enemy leave us alone so we can get through this service. Amen. Mm-hmm. The next one up that we're going to have is Adam's cursed life for Abraham. Bless. Bless life. And um, we're having Minister Shante Fryson, and she will be coming from Galatians 3, 13 through 14, and she's a member of Destiny Church in Columbia, Tennessee. And uh, she will, she's up next, and then the next one will be Our Rejection for Jesus' Acceptance, Isaiah 53 and 3, Dr. Linda Johnson. Pastor of Miles Memorial CME Church of Louisville, Kentucky. And the next one after her would be Our Sickness for His Health, Isaiah 53 and 5, Pastor Millicent Black, Rescues from the Storm Church. Uh, in that order, amen. 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 Reverend Buchanan forgot to say, she forgot to tell y'all I was her daughter, by the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am coming from Galatians, as she said, Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. And I'm going to read this scripture from uh, the Message Bible. And it reads, Christ redeemed us from the self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse. And at the same time, dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's, God's life, His Spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. I know that um, Minister uh, Reverend Black gave me the topic of um, uh, Adam's cursed life for Abraham's blessing, blessed life. However, a subtopic to that for me would be, I am redeemed. Amen. And, um, when I read this scripture over and over, it brought a song back to my mind from way back in the day, and some of you may remember it. It says, I am redeemed. Bought with the price. Jesus changed my whole life. If anybody asks you just who I am, just tell them I am redeemed. Now, do you all remember that? I'm sure you probably do. But sometimes I remember back when I was younger, I didn't quite know what I was singing about. I just knew that I was in the choir or I was in the church pews just singing away saying I'm redeemed. I was bought with the price. But little did I know why I was bought with the price and why I had been redeemed. As I go through these, uh, went through my scriptures, I think about, well, before I say that, let me give you what Webster's Dictionary says a curse is. A curse is a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict 
curse. I can't seem to get up. I can't seem to get down. I can't seem to move forward. I keep staying in the same place. I feel like somebody has cursed me. Have you ever thought about that? I remember when I was younger too, and I, my mama tells me to this day, if it ain't in the Bible, it ain't the truth. For the longest time, I would not leave my hair left out somewhere for somebody to get it. I wouldn't throw it away. I would burn it because I was afraid from what the older people would say that somebody would get your hair and put a curse on you. Mm-hmm. However, back to my topic. In order for us to understand how we were bought with the price and how that we are redeemed by Christ, we have to go back to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 26. As you know, in the Old Testament, we were under the Mosaic law, meaning that it kind of, to me, that's what I type of living. You have to go strictly by the law. If you are, I'm sure you are familiar with that scripture. In essence, um, in this book, this is, in this chapter, rather, this is where God is telling Israel what will happen to them if they break his law and go after other gods. He lets them know that if he was to go, if anybody was to go against the law, they could be cursed, they could have terror. They can be waste. They can have wasted diseases. They can get a fever. They can just destroy their eyes and drain away their lives. You know, when I read this and I studied it and got the revelation of this, I said, "Hmm." I said, "Well, Lord," I said, "This is kind of what we're going through right now with this disease that just magically appeared in the United States." Or it appeared in China, it appeared in the world, period. I was like, hmm, people will be cursed. And I think about the statistics, I think about the numbers, I think about how, what if this virus is something that God brought up on his people? I know that I may be off subject, but for a moment, think about how the word other God. What do I mean by other gods? I mean their car, their money, their job, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, we bow to so many things and we put other things before God. The time that we spend, some of that time we can spend on our lunch break, giving praise to God. Just like with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Whatever type of platform that you have when it comes to social media, we can spend hours on hours on hours on that Facebook, which I want to call Hella Book, because we stay on there looking at people's information, trying to figure out what's going on, being nosy. When we see something, we call somebody and ask them about it. We're letting that take over our lives instead of dedicating that time to God. Am I right? I'm right. Because that's another God. But it's not the big G-O-D. It's the little G-O-D. And how about right at this very moment, there's this deadly disease that's stricken the land. 
just think about how we are in a time now where we went from free will, meaning not the free will in the Bible, but the free will of being able to go outside, to go to work, to go on vacation, to go in the stores, to go in the restaurants, and to now moving when we're told to move or to go on vacation when we're told to, when, or go out when we're told to. And we have to be very careful where our feet should trod, all because people are not obeying the one who's in charge, and that person that is in charge is Jesus, and not number 45. Okay. All right. Okay, sorry to get off track a little bit, but every time I read this scripture, God kept bringing me back to thinking about the torment and the danger and all of the hate and all of the senseless crimes that's going on in the land. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, we have so much hate towards one another, but people are failing to realize that our world was founded on in God we trust. Okay. So when I think about that and I think about my verses, you're probably thinking, how is she going to make all of this tie in to being redeemed? When I think about this, I think about back in the in Leviticus when we were under the Mosaic Law, how we had to go directly, strictly, not us, but the people in that time had to go directly, strictly by the law. If you deviated from that law in any way, any form, any shape, any fashion, you were doomed with a curse all the way up until losing your life. Hmm. That really got me to thinking like that. Now, God, did you put this disease here to bring your people back to you? Did you bring the curse upon the land because we forgot who you were? Did you bring this up on us because the world has turned into a tumultuous place where people are killing each other, where we are living our daily lives scared to go outside because we're afraid that we're going to catch this disease? Have you ever thought about, why, God? Why? We are under the law, you guys. And the reason why I say that is because when God went up on the cross, he redeemed us. My scripture says that Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating. What is self-defeating? Where we feel like, where we go on our daily basis in the everyday world, defying what God tells us to do, defying what the word of God says. Being disobedient, practicing things that are against God's word, practicing things that can get us in trouble, things that can not only bring damnation to ourselves, but damnation to the people that are around us. Not only that, when I say um, we are, our sinful nature has, has turned the world upside down. God came down through 40 and two generations to save us from our sins. We, he got up on the cross. And when he got up on the cross, he took all of our sins, all of our disgruntledness, every single thing with him up on that cross. He became the curse. He became the curse for us. He became the curse because he knew that we were a sin sick uh, fellow and woman, and we were going to come 
out here and we were going to sin because we were born into the sin nature until we met Christ. Amen? Amen. And when I think about it, the next thing I was going to tell you guys is that back during the Mosaic Law, like I stated a little while ago, if you were to disobey, you were killed, or what have you, you were killed, you could have been hung, you could have gotten a legion, you were hit with the plague, your family was cursed, you could have, your eyes would have been plucked out, or whatever. But that was just by disobeying one law. Now, even though Jesus died on the cross, redeem us for back in the Well, we'll 
the next one, and then I'll come back and so let's keep this here spirit hot. Let's go on with our next one. Pastor Melson Black, come on hot. Come oh, on. Let's, let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. My topic this evening is uh, Isaiah 53, verse 5. And it was um, one that was part of the message, my message from last Saturday. So we're going to go in the direction that God is leading us. The fourth gift of grace to the world through Jesus' suffering is our sickness for his healing. The part of this scripture that we are most familiar with is with his stripes, we are healed. The healing is just the culmination of all that Jesus went through in order that we might possess the right to this exchange. That verse reading from the King James Bible, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I have uh, chosen for a title for this just for me. Contrary to popular belief, there is no scripture evidence that the lashes received by Christ were related to some number of diseases that afflicted or would affect humanity. But what we do know is that Jesus was beaten because of the plan of God. To the scribes, it was because of who he was. And I still love 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, if they had known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the son of glory. Uh -huh. Slavery is called the greatest sin of the United States of America. That's the enslavement of human beings. To God, sin is the greatest human disease that man could ever suffer. And Jesus died for that sin. Uh -huh. The helplessness brought on by sin and the need for redemption from his condemnation and eternal separation from God makes Jesus' sacrifice the only solution to our sin. Right. This is the principal purpose for which Jesus died. You've heard the song, but I couldn't find anybody, nobody greater than Jesus, actually. When we talk about the purpose of this suffering servant, we must turn from the natural, physical reasons that we want to assess to Jesus' birth, death, burial, and resurrection, and focus on the spiritual aspect of these verses. That we discussed tonight. Jesus' death was about the debt owed to Satan for the uh -huh. spiritual consequences of the sin of humanity. I took the time to look at the meaning of each word that describes the suffering of Jesus Christ on his way to and while hanging on the cross. The first word was wounded. That means suffering injury or bodily harm. Notice that each of these words leave room for the need of healing, of being healed. It usually involves division of tissue or rupture of the in integument and or mucous membrane due to external violence or some mechanical agency rather than disease. So disease uh -huh. isn't the only reason that we will find it be a, a, a lawnmower 
that threw something out from under it. Sometimes it could be falling on the, on the pavement. Sometimes it could be slipping in a swimming pool. Many reasons are physical reasons are why humanity is wounded. But there are also many spiritual reasons why humanity is wounded. One of them is disobedience. Another one is selfishness. Another one is self-righteousness. Believe it or not, drinking and, and doing drugs lead to spiritual woundedness. All of these are reasons for which healing is necessary. The second word in this scripture that we need to look at is transgression. That means violation of the law or command. Then Jesus was bruised. That means there was a contusion, a breaking of the blood vessels under the skin. Then there were iniquities, immoral or improper or wicked behavior. Now let's put those four words together. So he, Jesus, suffered injury or bodily harm because we violated the law. He suffered injury, the breaking of the small blood vessels under his skin because we were immoral, improper, or exemplified wicked behavior. The next word is chastisement. Chastisement means punishment. The next word is peace. That's freedom from disturbance. Then stripes is the next word. Wounds that stripes were administered by whipping the bare back of prisoners whose hands and feet were bound, rendering them helpless. I could go on and talk about those whips, but I'm trying to speed through. And I'll go back and just put those words together. So Jesus was punished, freedom from disturbance. Freedom from disturbance being the absence of peace usually means that the absence of an awareness of the presence of God. Can you believe that our absence of peace is related to our absence of an awareness of the presence of God? Doesn't mean God isn't there. It's where? The middle of the worst storm of your life and uh -huh. no peace. Have peace. Just like Jesus laying in the boat when the storm came. If you know that God is with you. And then the word strike. Jesus took upon his body and was whipped on his bare back yep. like a prisoner uh -huh. whose hands and feet were bound, rendering him helpless. You know why he took those stripes? That we might be healed. That we might have the absence of the spiritual wounding uh -huh. that would keep us out of the God. Amen. Although verse 5 is central to the topic of healing, the word healed, as translated from both the Hebrew and the Greek, can mean either spiritual or physical healing. However, when examined in the context of Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter chapter 2, it is clear that these verses, spiritual healing, 
not physical. He himself, the scripture reads, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his stripes or by his wounds, you have been healed. The verse is referring to sin and righteousness, not sickness and disease. Therefore, being healed in both these verses is speaking of being forgiven and right. saved, not being physically healed. All right. When we think of being healed, most often we think of being mended after surgery or a traffic accident or a sporting accident. The physical therapy or the chiropractic treatments are over and we are like new or almost like new again, physically. But it doesn't matter what caused the need for surgery or rehab. We just know that the promise of the doctor was to try to make you like new again. Sometimes being healed can mean restored after the loss of a loved one. I read today that 100,000 people have died in these United States from the coronavirus. That means that there are hundreds of thousands of families who are grieving thousands of people who are despondent and in despair, hundreds of thousands anyway. Did Jesus die for them? Yes. Jesus' death was for their eternal salvation. Sometimes the only healing we will receive is the wholeness that comes after we receive a resurrected body. Do you remember Jesus' hands, feet, and his side? Those were away. Did you realize that? When Jesus was resurrected, he still had the signs of the nail through his, the spear in his side. But they could not hold him down, and neither will they hold us. There were so many spiritual exchanges made for us at Calvary. The wound of sin that kept God from coming close to us was forever healed, never to be opened again. When Jesus exchanged his life for yours and mine, at the, as the songwriter says, the old debt was settled. Then it said that Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe, and we owed a debt that we could not pay. That shouting news. Now go to the bank and try to draw money out of your account in excess of what you put in it. Even a line of credit won't get us into heaven. But because of the blood of Jesus, there will always be enough in the account to cover our sins, past, present, and future. No matter what causes the rift in our lives, it will no longer cause a gap in our access to God. We can boldly approach the throne. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood, hallelujah, of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, we appreciate that from Sister Shante to Melissa Shante and Pastor Millicent. Y'all coming on with this word tonight. God bless y'all and 
have uh, Dr. Johnson got here yet? Is she here? Dr. Linda Johnson. I didn't get to check on it, so let's go on and I and I'll check while you while we have I think a second selection. Uh huh. Selection, and then the next one I'm gonna read them off. The next one will be our shame for His glory. Hebrews 12 and 2. Sister Cheryl Miller Harvey, a refuge from the Storm Church. And number six will be our poverty for His abundance. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Minister Michael McLean, Great United Baptist Church, Columbia, Tennessee. And the seventh one for tonight will be our death for his life, Romans 5, 13, and 17. Minister Julia Thompson, founder of Global Awakening Prayer, Southwest Florida. Amen in that order.
Amen. Amen. Are you are you hearing me clearly? Cheryl, um, can you? Doctor Linda is, is is with us. Can can okay. you would you let her go and and do number four and then come right behind her? Sure. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You want me to go now? Hello? 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 We can hear you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We can hear you. Praise the Lord. Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. for giving me this opportunity. And um, I want to thank everyone who has gone before me with the word from the Lord. Um, my assignment is uh, rejection for Jesus, Jesus' acceptance. Isaiah 53, verse 3. And And it reads, I'm reading from the King James uh, Version, and it reads, he was fired and rejected by mankind, a man suffering and rejected and familiar with pain, with deep grief. like one from whom people hide their faith. He was at low, he was held low uh, in esteem, I'm sorry. But rejection for Jesus. Many scholars believe that this prophet was closely, that closely matched the life of Jesus and had been used as proof of his messiahship. God was Israel, God used Israel's prophet to the people to let them know of the promise of their future. Blessings through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. His message was of hope, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. It was a Messiah of both suffering servant and and a savior. It gives us some kind of absolute assurance of our salvation. I'd like to share a little story with you. And it's about a man. He rushed into a church one evening and shouted to those gathered for the service. 
I read the end of the book, and we are winners. We are winners. Those who have the witness of the Holy Spirit, they are the children of God. And who knows that their sins are forgiven, and those who can overcome the world with love. First John 5 and 1. No need to worry about our image. We don't have to worry about our position because we are free even to take the lowest position because God will always lift us up. The prophets wrote this, Isaiah wrote this prophecy about 2,000 years ago before Jesus was born. And it's a prophecy that has been fulfilled. It says that he is despised and was rejected. The suffering of Jesus was God's plan for our salvation. Jesus suffered on the cross and he showed the devastations of the nature of sin. The wrath of God, the cruelty of humanity, and the hatred of Satan. At Calvary, mankind was allowed to do his worst to the Son of Man as he became the Redeemer of mankind. Jesus, the Savior, was rejected. He was rejected by the leadership in the church. He was rejected by the people. He was even talked about because he was a Nazarene and scorned by everyone. And so one could see the Messiah's prophecy as an allusion to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. He was despised, rejected by mankind, and man who's suffering and familiar with pain. In John 6.41, Jesus was rejected by his own. This is the will of him that sent me. Now, this is what Jesus said. That everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will rise and I will raise him up at the day. The Jews then murmured. 
at what Jesus had said. He said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Wasn't that his father, the carpenter? And they did not respect him. And in John 6:53, Jesus said, Whosoever eat my flesh and drink my blood have everlasting life. And I will rise, I will raise him up on the last day. Telling the people that he came down from heaven. These things he said in the synagogue. And he taught in Capernaum. Many of his disciples murmured at the saying. And from that time on, the disciples went back and walked no more with Jesus. He was rejected by perhaps thousands who followed him at one time. Jesus clearly suffered rejection. Even when they were, when Pilate had asked, who should they crucify? Barabbas or Jesus? I'm sure in that crowd, there were some people who had been healed by Jesus. I'm sure in that crowd, there were some people who saw miracles that he had done, but they hollered, Barabbas, crucify him. He was rejected. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, accepted the will of God. Our Jesus Christ went to the cross even though he knew that he was going to be rejected. He even accepted the challenge when he knew he would suffer, that he would experience deep pain. And even though he went to the cross, he knew that Judas, the one who was among his inner circle or among his disciples, would reject him. He knew that when the soldiers come to get him at Gethsemane, that his disciples would not follow after him, but go in hiding like Peter. But he accepted his rejection. We as Christians today, we who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ, we can expect to be crucified for our 
Why not us? Our Savior. We can't expect to suffer and experience pain in our walk. But we must remember that Jesus did not sin, but yet he accepted the will of God to die for our sins, that we may have eternal life. Jesus accepted so that God would accept us. So that his blood would cover our sins that we have committed. We are his people. We are the ones that he died for. Even though we have sinned, God or Jesus is still advocating for us. Jesus was rejected. He was the cornerstone and the builders rejected him. Cornerstone is the foundation of the church. Holding the structure Jesus referred to himself as the stone that the builders rejected. He would become the cornerstone of the new building, of the new church. Jesus Christ, who died for us. We can call on him. We can tell him what's on our mind. Because there's going to be times when our moods are down, our situations are out of our hands, and our sorrow and the storm is going to come. They're going to overwhelm us. We have a relationship with the one whose blood covers all of our sins. The one who has the power and in control of what happens in our lives. We can rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice in it. We're going to be rejected. So was Jesus. We have to accept the things that come our way, but so did Jesus. But God accepts us because he sees us the everlasting work of the Lamb that sacrificed his life. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for giving Jesus for our sins. We thank you, oh God, that he accepted the challenge. Now, Lord, as we go forth, remind us that we are servants for you. Remind us that we are on the battlefield. Remind us that we are covered by the blood and give us the strength to accept the challenge. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dr. Linda Johnson, our rejection for Jesus' acceptance. Amen. The next one, we're going to go on with number five, six, and seven. Sister Cheryl Miller Harvey, Minister Michael McLean, and Minister Julia Thompson in that order, and then a selection following the last speaker. Amen. 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 Good evening, everyone. To God be the glory. I will be coming <clears throat> to you from the he book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and what we are addressing this evening is the gift of grace, our shame for his glory. The key verse is Hebrews 12, verse 2, but I'm going to start with uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the key verse. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the New King James would say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're looking here at our shame for his glory. And we know here that shame is a human experience. If we look at some of the definitions, we find that shame can be associated with feelings of failure, public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, rejection, which was spoken so eloquently by our sister just um, previously ridicule, dishonor. And there are two Hebrew words that are addressed under this banner. Bosheth. Now, that definition tells us that human guilt or embarrassment 
happens when our sin comes to light. And this is a shame we feel when we hurt someone. But then there's this other Hebrew word, kalim, which speaks of being hurt, rejected, disgraced, or humiliated. It's the shame we experience when someone hurts us. Now, when we look at shame uh, in the biblical world, in, uh, in the Old Testament, we see more of a core value in this biblical world. Shame played a pivotal role in the culture. Today, uh, when we look at our modern world around us, we will see that people will more or less associate guilt. They will use the term guilt um, as a modern term used. Um, but nonetheless, it is still that feeling associated with some, for, some form of failure or embarrassment. Um, you could say that maybe some people treat shame as more of a private matter. However, we look at social media today. Uh, there's a term that's used today called shaming, whereas one person or a group of people will try to shame another person. Not that they've done anything wrong, but just the desire to hurt someone. So many of us, amen, have experienced both of these Hebrew words, bosheth, where we hurt someone. Um, but when it's really felt, it's the shame we experience when someone hurts us. And this is one of the beauties of the cross. One of the great wonders of the cross is that Jesus did more than bear our sin. He bore that first great consequence of sin. He bore all of our shame. We can look at this word shame. It began for all mankind in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The temptation and the fall of man came with a desire, a desire to know more. That desire that weighed more at that time than the desire to please God through obedience. Here we find a couple, their eyes were open. And if we look at that, if we look at Genesis uh, chapter three at the fall of man, and we know that Adam and Eve have both eaten of this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've eaten the fruit and their eyes are opened and immediately they find that they're naked and they want to cover themselves. They cover themselves with fig leaves. And verse eight says, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And so the journey begins. We have a man and a woman where sin enters and so does the guilt. 
So does the shame. They've not only hurt God, but they've also been hurt. And so the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent, and now God lays on them all the accountability of what they have done, yet there is still grace in all of this. Yet even in that moment, grace comes in because there's a seed from the woman. Hallelujah, there's a seed that will come to take away the sin of the world. And this is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. He took on our shame. At that cross, Jesus endured so much, so much. Spitting, they spat on our Lord and Savior. He was struck countless times. He was whipped. He was beaten, struck in the face and the head. He was stripped naked. He was ridiculed. He was insulted. All of that Jesus took. He took on that shame for us. But through Christ, we can have the victory over sin and shame because of the cross. If we look <clears throat> at the life of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus indeed went to the people who were the most vulnerable to shame, the most shameful, seen as hopeless by the rest of the world. We have in Matthew 9, Matthew, the tax collector, where Jesus looks at him and he says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew immediately walks away. This is a, a man who's ridiculed by his very own, despised by his very own. And even Matthew himself is ashamed of what he's doing. But yet he hears the master call and he gets up and he follows. And we have, of course, the woman cult in adultery and the shame of it all. And yet she sees the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who writes in the dirt and asks her, where are your accusers? And she doesn't see anyone. And he tells her, go and sin no more. Oh, the grace of God, the grace for our shame. The woman at the well in John 4, who's had many husbands, and yet the man she's with is not even her own. And Jesus gives her living water. And yet this very same woman who was ashamed, who went to the well when no one else was around, meets Jesus, the true and living word. And she is also used to bring in a whole town of Samaritans. And then we have the Saturian in Matthew 8, who's even ashamed to look upon Jesus, but he's begging for his help. And this is who Jesus indeed has come to save. So many examples, and yet the birth of our Savior, who was indeed without sin, was born into a world of sin. He was born in sin, and yet without it. His lineage portrayed through countless generations 
so many acts of sin and shame beyond Adam and Eve. We see Rahab the harlot entering into the nation of Israel, into the tribe. And yet she would be used in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somewhere that shame's taken away, even exemplified in the Old Testament. Jesus was the plan of redemption. He drew all of these names, all of these lives into his plan for salvation, just like his father did. Jesus always deals with us in truth. He always deals with us in compassion, and he offers the perfect covering. He takes on our shame for his glory. If there's nothing else, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, we can have and we do have the victory over sin and shame. We have a redeemer. We have a savior who is more than able to take the sting of shame away. Did you hear me? We have a redeemer. We have a savior who is able to take the sting of shame away. That was settled over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. If we look at some of the other scriptures that, that tell us about this, the, the man, Jesus Christ, or even if we look at the Old Testament, we look back, we remember um, Zechariah and the visions that he had and how in chapter three, Zechariah had a vision of the high priest at that time, the high priest Joshua, whereas Joshua stands before the Lord and he's clothed, clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And the Lord said to him, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. We have a savior who is very well able to take away our shame, very well able. And in Rome, and I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse two, for in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Here is just an, another mark. Adam and Eve, who found themselves naked and clothed, God and his son, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be clothed with Christ, taking on the glory of Christ here on this earth. If you're still carrying this burning of shame of anything, now's the time to place that burden at the feet of Jesus Christ, the one who exchanged our shame for his glory. He sits at the right hand of the Father of heaven. Allow the work by Jesus Christ, all that he's done to heal you, 
in true surrender to Christ, you have a savior who paid it all. We can exchange the burden of shame for the gift of glory that is only found through Jesus Christ. And just as the, the book of the Lord, the Bible begins with Adam and Eve, a man and woman who were found naked and ashamed and afraid. There's a verse in the last book of the Bible that talks about our Lord and Savior coming. And he says in chapter 16, verse 5, Behold, I'm a, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So we know that our righteousness found through Jesus Christ is very well taken care of. Jesus is and was and is our plan of redemption. He drew them and all of those people of the Old Testament, even all of us today, are in his plan of salvation. Jesus deals with us in truth and in compassion, and he offers the perfect covering, exchanging our burden of shame for the gift of glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done on the cross, carrying all that shame, all that guilt, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we just lay it all at your feet. We choose to walk in this newness of life, clothing ourselves with Christ and sharing in his glory. Amen. Amen. Hey. Good morning, church. I'm Michael McLean, and I'm our speaker for our sixth gift entitled Our Poverty for His Abundance. My scripture is coming from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, and verse 9. And as I give everybody time to find that scripture, I'll issue my disclaimer. You see, I'm a gospel preacher by occupation, but I'm a gospel teacher by advocation. Our scripture for tonight is for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through poverty might be rich. As a title for this message for this morning, I'll use the, the prince and the pauper. The prince and the pauper. The, right, novel by, right. the novel by this same name was written by Samuel L. Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, in 1881. 
And if you're wondering why I said good morning, it's because this message starts in London, England, in the year 1547. And in England, right now, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. This novel, this novel is about a chance meeting of two teenage boys who looked identical. One a prince, an heir to the throne of England, and the other a pauper who had snuck into the palace. You see, the prince's desire was to move among the people he would one day rule and get to know them. So they exchanged clothes, and they exchanged lives, and the story tells of the adventures that both men in their new lives had. First, let me talk about the prince. Isaiah, in the, in the ninth chapter, in the sixth verse says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah is foretelling of the coming of Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. Now, you see, no matter what size the kingdom, the king's son, the prince, is always bathed in abundance and power, and the kingdom of heaven is no exception. John in chapter, Matthew in chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, you see the same Jesus who was baptized saw heavens open up and the Spirit of God descended like a dove coming to rest on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom. I am well pleased. Jesus is truly this prince of peace. Uh -huh. this, this same John says in the first chapter, verses one through three, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So let's go to the beginning. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, the word that appears here is Elohim. But did you notice the suffix, I am? On this word. In Hebrew, this suffix denotes plural. The word God in the singular is, is El, as seen in El Shaddai. This uses of the suffix I am to most theologians denotes the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what about the abundance and power of Jesus, the Prince of Peace? Let's just look at the feeding of the 5,000, which is the only miracle 
performed by Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. But the 5,000 was just the men present. Let's say that two-thirds of the men had their wives with them. Then that makes the total 8,300 and something. Now, adding that the average family is 2.5 children per household, the total is now 16,600. But just to make things easy, let's round up to 17,000. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, fed 17,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. Can the abundance of Jesus, can the abundance of the Prince of Peace be measured by human standards? But we've talked about the Prince, and we've talked about his abundance, but let's talk about the pauper. For those of you who might not know the word, a pauper is someone who is very poor. Another definition says a pauper is someone living on or eligible for public charity. The young man who was the pauper just happened to come in contact with the prince. First, we need to understand that poverty does not just apply to financial status. Sociologically speaking, poverty refers to a position or condition that is financially lower than what they think is necessary for a normal life. In this message, the pauper is us. But because many of us think that because of who we are, we have arrived and cannot and will not compare ourselves to the pauper. So I'll just say the pauper is me. I hope we all know that you can be impoverished by being lost in the system. This boy, this pauper, because of his family status, was born poor. So because of his family's position, he was lost in the system. He was destined to a life of want. He became a liar, a cheat, and a thief. He may not have wanted this, he may not have wanted this life, but that was the life the system had dealt him. And for those of us who don't believe being lost in the system is impoverishing, just talk to someone who truly needs it but has not received their federal stimulus check or their federal income, unemployment income check. Just like the corporate, being lost in the system, I too, we too have been lost in the system, lost in the worldly system of sin or simply lost in sin. Maybe it was because of our family backgrounds. Maybe it was because of our environment, the neighborhood or the city in which we grew up in. Or just maybe it was because of the choices we make or made for us 
we became lost, lost in the system, lost in sin. But just like the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son of Luke 15, there is somebody looking for us. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, our Redeemer, is always trying. He is always trying to bring us to or back to a right relationship with God. Matthew 3, 5 and 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, we can also and easily become impoverished in spirit. Life with its many trials and tribulations, life with its storms and stumbling blocks can leave us diminished in spirit, leaving, leave us wanting in our relationship with God, in our relationships with others, and sometimes even with our relationship with ourselves. But just like with our financial institutions, our spiritual welfare is similar if all we do is make withdrawals and never or rarely make deposits, we will find ourselves bankrupt. If all we do is go to the church house once a week, our spirits can get low. Just like when, just like when two or three different checks go into one account regularly, Several services of spiritual deposits can enhance our spiritual lives. How is your prayer life? I hope not, only just before eating and sleeping. How is your Bible reading life? Do you meditate on the Word or just read the words? You need... You need to have and must make spiritual deposits to keep your spiritual life fluid. Church sometimes try attending Sunday school or Bible study on a regular basis. My last topic is our, is our abundance. In this novel, The Prince and the Pauper, ends with the prince being restored to his position and the pauper elevated to a position in the king's household. From poverty to abundance, not just for the pauper, but also his household. The songwriter says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply, Stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Just like Paul in 1 Timothy 1 and 15 as a young man, I was not just a sinner, I was chief. Not only was I on the bus, head to hell, I was the backup driver. I even stopped sometimes to ask others if they wanted to get on board. 
but because of Jesus's abundant grace, I who was lost in the system of sin, I who was extremely poor in spirit became rich, became rich in the beauty of his holiness. Jesus who left the majesty of heaven came to earth. He was born in a barn to poor parents and among farm animals that I might have so that we might have a right to eternal life, to the abundant life found only in the presence of God. I, I smile sometimes when talking with people who are aligned with other religions as they struggle to get to God. But my God, our God, has looked beyond our faults and saw our needs. And he came to us, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, Emmanuel with us, brought God to us. And because of my belief, because of my confession, he has never left me and never will. Jesus, who became, who because of his abundant love, came to seek and to save. Church, he has found us, he has saved us, and now he keeps us. Now, because of Jesus' abundant love, his abundant mercy, and his abundant grace, even when we find ourselves knee-deep in the mud hole that we knowingly walked into, we can still boldly say, no, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint that sometimes sins. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting me on my Damascus road and bringing me into abundance in you. Because of Jesus, we are rich through salvation by faith with all of its benefits. Because of Jesus, we are rich in our relationship with God and with God's people. Because of Jesus, we are rich in the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, rich in joy, rich in peace, rich in inheritance. Church, as I take my seat, I know that many of us came from impoverished beginnings financially. And all of us came from impoverished beginnings spiritually. But because of the abundance of God, working through his son Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we can look in the mirror and say, baby, just look at me down. Won't he do it? Thank you. Stay safe. And God bless you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Minister Mike. Thank you for that word. Our poverty for his abundance. And the last one is our death for his life. Minister Julia Thompson, founder of Global Awakening Prayer, Southwest Florida. Then we'll have a selection after that, and we will have our closing remarks and benediction by Pastor Nelson Black. And as we come into a close, I just want to say thank you for the 
invite to be your worship leader for tonight. The devil didn't get no victory here tonight, so we're going to give God a hallelujah praise for coming in and being with us, and we've been able to go on because the devil wants to still kill and destroy, but he didn't do nothing tonight but give us a step closer to amen. 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 And uh, the next person, Mr. Julia Thompson, and close with that hot honey. Come on. Let me make sure she's not muted. Julia, can you unmute yourself? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. I'm sorry about that. I didn't realize I was muted. Okay. Okay, I just want to say thank you so much for having me tonight. Thank you, Melissa. It's really an honor, and I've been blessed and encouraged by everyone's messages. And the scripture that I'm going to be, uh, or the passage I'm going to read from is Romans 5, verse 13 and 17. And um, it's this is about our death for his life. And this is actually one of my very favorite scriptures, uh, Romans 5, 17. And I live my life by this scripture. So, um, but let's talk about verse 13 first. It says, for until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. So I'm going to back up just a little bit, and I'm taking this from the Passion Translation. Um, What this is saying is that there was no ability to be charged and found guilty of breaking the law. But when Adam sinned, we know the entire world was affected by the human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. So the actions of both Adam and Christ affect the entire world. Death passes to all who are in Adam. Life passes to all who are in Christ. Each is a corporate head of a race of people. God sees each person as in Adam or in Christ. And um, verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And so, uh, like Pastor Millicent did, I, I love to break down words and get a fuller meaning so I'm going to look at what um, what the word grace means. Okay, we know the offense. It was by Adam's offense that death reigned. Okay, so death passed into every every man. We are of the we before we're born again. We're of the first Adam. Um, okay, so it says death reigned by one by one man's offense. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace. Okay, grace is a gift or blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ. Grace is another word for favor, gratitude, thanks, 
It's a kindness shown. Um, for God to show favor is to be kindly disposed towards. It means he's inclined towards us, leaning towards to share benefit. Um, it's preeminently used of the Lord's favor, and it means freely extended, to give himself away to people. Okay, so um, let's see. It's from the word charis, or I'm probably not, charis. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, let's see. It's sometimes rendered thanks, but the core idea is favor. So God gives us, as though we had never been sinners, he gives us his grace to actually reign in life, his free gift of, it says, the, he, let's see, much more they which receive the abundance. So abundance, of course, means um, a large amount, superfluity. So he gives us this abundance of favor and of the gift of righteousness. And righteousness is really interesting because uh, righteousness, you know, a lot of people say, well, it means right standing with God, but it's actually a um, judicial term. It means justice. It means to be um, approved of. It's actually a judicial verdict. So when, when we are called righteous by God's standard, you know, when he declares us righteous, he is giving a judicial verdict. Of, uh, it's like a stamp of approval, divine approval upon us which, you know, coming from lives of sin, as we all have, that's a pretty amazing thing. So legally, we are declared in right standing because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, you know, our job as believers is to grow in righteousness, to, be, or, uh, to become transformed through the renewing of our minds so that our soul uh, lines up with what the Spirit in us, as born-again believers, knows um, to be the truth, and as we, I believe, as we're in, in alignment in our soul with what the Spirit of God in us lives by, you know, what the, the truths of the Holy Spirit that are in us, then we begin to, to experience even more favor from God, even more power evident in our lives. But, um, but the blood of Jesus is our, that is, the, that is our righteousness. Okay, so, so it says, the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, we shall reign in life. Now, that word reign is really interesting. It means to exercise dominion. It means to have kingly power. Metaphorically, it's to exercise the highest influence to control. It's supreme moral uh, dignity, liberty, blessedness, enjoyed. Um, by the redeemed ones. So to reign is actually, um, it's, it's pretty astounding. It means no matter what our circumstances, and of course, you know, I'm very familiar with the, the, the uh, afflictions of injustice. And, you know, I rem I'm just going to be real honest here. There was a time, uh, this is why this verse is so, so powerful and important to me. There was a time when I said to the Lord, what am I going to do? I feel like I'm dying mentally and physically. And he said to me, there's one way that you're going to overcome, that you're going to succeed and not just survive, but actually thrive. And he said, it's going to be by walking in the spirit. And, at, you know, when he first said that to me, I really didn't know just what he meant. But um, 
the Holy Spirit, who is the one we know Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot uh, enter the kingdom. Okay, so we know that our death, as we die to the old man, uh, we, were, we were originally of the first Adam. We are now of the second Adam through the new birth, through being born again through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and the price he paid for us. So we now have forgiveness of sins. But what I've learned, you know, especially in the last few years, uh, I'd say about six, seven years, I've been really getting more revelations, is, is that he didn't just die for us to go to heaven and for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could go to heaven. He died so that we could actually be animated by his life. And so, consequently, as we die to the old man, and we say, I'm putting to death the old man. I'm doing away with the man of sin, the man of the flesh. I no longer want to be associated with the old Adam. And we come into salvation through Jesus Christ, and we get our minds renewed to what Jesus purchased on the cross we can actually begin to walk in and be animated by the resurrection life of Jesus, which for me has been absolutely astounding because what the flesh is, is limited by, and you know, especially the things we're facing these days, we're facing a war, a war on our minds, a war on our bodies. And apart from the grace of God, we have, I mean, I, I see no way that human you know, first Adam people can really thrive. They might stay alive, but, you know, many are actually dying. And if they're not dying physically, they're in uh, mental distress. Okay, so what he showed me is he said, don't worry about your mind. All you need is the mind of Christ. You need to learn how to tap into the mind of Christ. Don't worry about your physical body because I through the power of the Holy Spirit, will be the animating life within you. So um, let me just go through, let's see here. I want to look at something, the word life, when he says that we will be, um, let me go back here, that we will reign in life. That word life is zoe um, in the Greek, and it means both of physical, present, and of spiritual, so future existence as well. And um, it says all life throughout the universe is derived, it always comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people, creating each in his image, which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. And it says it's the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate, the vital spirit, the breath of life of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. So when I was feeling like I was dying, the Holy Spirit said, I will be the, gen- the regenerating life force within you as you live by my word. You know, we know God said, man, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I found that as I was, um, and I'm still, still learning this, I mean, it's just unfolding more and more all the time as as I am learning to think like God thinks through the word I'm discovering that there is a powerful life force that regenerates us on the inside even when we may physically feel uh, tired sick um, you know emotionally
distressed or um, discouraged or whatever, as we draw upon the Holy Spirit's life in us that came, of course, through our beautiful Savior, then it actually will transform us and it, it releases that old, the tendencies towards the old feelings of, um, um, uh, I don't want to say disintegration, but where you feel like your body is weakening and getting weary and your mind, you're getting more and more discouraged. He actually will come and fill us with his life. And this is, to me, the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit since we're celebrating Pentecost is that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that all this happens. And um, another scripture that is uh, that I like to refer to concerning resurrection life is where Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. It is no longer I who live. You know, that was the death, his death. He died. No longer I who live, but Christ living in me. So he died so that Jesus Christ could live in him. And he said, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this, this glorious truth is that as we surrender our lives, for uh, our, we die. You know, Jesus, another thing he said was, um, he who seeks to save his life, he who tries to hang on to his way of thinking and his way of doing things according to the flesh man or the first Adam is going to lose it. Because our physical body is not able um, to, uh, I mean, well, Jesus said that if you try to live, if you try to to hang on to your life in this life, you will lose it. And But he who loses, and that word also means suke, which has to do with your, it means your thinking, because it's the Greek word suke, that's another word for life. And so it's, if we hang on to our way of thinking, I can do this if I, you know, if, I just, if I just buy this or if I just do that or if I just use my strong will, I can overcome all these things coming against me. We've got artificial intelligence. We've got uh, high technology. We've got you know, all kinds of uh, things going on in the world. But I can't do it in my flesh. But if I lose my life in exchange for his life, I will find it, and I will not only find life to sustain me, I will find life that is resurrection power, resurrection life that gives me the power to not only rise up, uh, to not only maintain my existence, but to rise above the enemy's attacks that constantly push me down and say, you'll never do this, you'll never do that, you'll never make it. He's a liar, and since he deals with the man of flesh, Satan does, um, we have actually been redeemed from first Adam existence. So, you know, and we know that um, in 1 Corinthians 15, somebody made reference to that, and I was so glad. Um, it says that the, oh, I thought I had it written down here, but it says that the first Adam was a living being. The second Adam was a life-giving, quickening spirit. So now we have this quickening life force, resurrection life on the inside of us. And, you know, this is something the world doesn't have because, you know, we know we are triune beings as believers. We are body, soul, and spirit. Well, if you're not born again, uh, you are just, you're basically operating according to the soul and the flesh. And that's what the enemy attacks, the soul and the flesh. But as 
spiritual beings who have been raised with Christ Jesus now to live in newness of life as a new creation, as a new species, as the second Adam, we now have the unlimited power of resurrection life that will function through us according to our, according to, you know, to the working of his power, according to what we are walking in. I believe it has to do with the, um, it has to do with how much our mind has been renewed and we walk in accordance to his ways, that we actually find that fountain of life springing forth in us that, um, that empowers us to do what otherwise we could not do. So I just want to read this last, um, there's in Romans 8, 11, it says, and it's, this, this scripture is so good, I had to put three translations down, but it says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Another version says, um, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. And of course, you know, we know we have eternal life, but this is talking about life in the here and now. So I just want to encourage everybody, if you feel like you're, you're pushed beyond your limit mentally or physically, um, we have, by, by exchanging our old man and our old way of living, our old way of life, which also means the, the flesh way of thinking and reasoning, when we exchange that for the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and we say, I want your life in me now, I want you to live me, through me, Jesus, then he does that. He comes and he lives through us as we yield to him. And, of course, the, the one last thing I want to say is that this is all entered into by faith. Paul said, it's, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I just want to encourage everyone um, I, to, to just rejoice with me that we have resurrection power living in us. And it is such an awesome privilege and honor to have the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in us. And I thank you so much for having me, Pastor Millison. I enjoyed listening to everyone. God bless you.
Hallelujah. Just because he's God. That's one of my favorite songs, and so I'm so glad 
that it was placed. And I thank God for each of you who have brought the word to us to encourage us and to help us to keep holding on and to keep believing that God is has done all he needs to do in Jesus for us to make it through. Is it difficult? Of course it is. Does it make us sad sometimes that we have to keep standing and dealing? Yes, it does. Yes. But it should also make us very glad that we aren't in this battle alone. In fact, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel that the battle was the Lord's, and he also sent that word to Jehoshaphat that the battle is the Lord's. We can't do anything in this battle based on the kinds of weapons that are being used against us. But use the weapons that God has given us. God has given us righteousness, and these are all because of Jesus. He's given us a blessed life according to the covenant with Abraham. He's given us acceptance and health and glory and abundance. And remember, that health doesn't mean you're not going to get up sore throat. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have ailments in your body. What that means is the health that you need to be in right relationship with God can never be tampered with. No doctor is, is ever going to call you up and say you've got too much of anything to keep God out of your life. Jesus has already paid it all. You have the glory of God at work on your side, and the glory of God is simply his presence. We have his presence working on our behalf. We have his abundance. Uh, Mr. Michael did a terrific job in telling us about the pauper and the prince. I forgot about that story, Michael. You dated yourself. I'll let you, let you go on by yourself and pretend like I'm not up there with you. <laughs> But a, a wonderful, wonderful job each of you have done. And then um, Minister Julia came and to talk to us about the difference between our death and Christ's life. Uh -huh. I tell you what, that um, the words to that song, love lifted me. We, we were all sinking to rise no more. We were all on our way to a grave from which we would never recover. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of all of the graces that we received, and notice in this, in this uh, book from which I took this service, it says the gift of grace, that it was folded over seven times. Must have looked something like the, the grave cloth. When they went into the tomb on Resurrection Sunday and found that the clothes that they had wrapped Jesus in were neatly stacked, folded and stacked in a pile. But Jesus was not there any longer. It was all because of and by God's grace. I appreciate the definition of God's grace. And I'd like you all to take this as we bring our service to a close. God's grace is his can't. In my can't. His can in my can't. When I cannot do anything, can't pray when I can't. They're not in any longer. 
God can. God can. Jesus said to us through the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was having uh, uh, one one day a week I do grandmoms in prayer with another another grandmother. We meet together to pray and, and I uh, we start off with a name of God and the name of God today meant God is my strength. And God was sending me word that I needed just a little more strength. And so I need to avail myself of these sevenfold gifts of grace that has come to me through Jesus Christ. Again, thank you, each of you, especially those of you who prepared to share tonight and did so in such a stellar fashion. Thank you, Reverend Myra. Reverend Myra is my cousin, y'all, so I can call on her for a whole lot of things. Yeah whole lot of ways and i do just that and she and when she calls me i say yes so thank you very much uh for being with us and hanging with us y'all we had many many trials to have this this uh service this week you know why because the enemy is not happy about the coming of the of the holy spirit and that's exactly what happened on pentecost the enemy knew that he didn't know until the holy spirit got here that it was over because then we became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that meant we became the, the house where the power source left for the enemy of our souls, but defeat, defeat, defeat. Now they're doing a, a great job at making us believe that we're the ones who are defeated. But if you can just hold on to tomorrow, the songwriter says, if you can just keep the faith through the night, if you can just hold on till tomorrow, Everything is going to be all right. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Oh, God, thank you that you created this day for us, Lord. The psalmist wasn't by himself when he declared unto us, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. God, you've sent us almost 20 people to rejoice with us over this day, God, this Wednesday, Father God, on our way to Pentecost Sunday, the, the, the celebration of the day that the Holy Spirit came into and, and, and made his home in the bodies of your people. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for caring so much about us that you created us in your image, Father. Thank you that you gave us a world to live in and you gave us dominion, Father, that we are yet to learn how to access all of the power that goes with that dominion. But Father, tonight you've taught us about grace. You've taught us about all the ways that Jesus made sure we would have what we needed, including life over death. And so Father, we say thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, that you was obedient to God our Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to go along with the plan. Thank you, Jesus, that even when you couldn't see God's hand hanging on Calvary, she cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You trusted God's plan because the word tells us before the world began, God had a plan to save mankind. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. And I ask you now, Lord, to bless each of my sisters and my brothers. I pray, God, that you would grant us health. I pray, Father God, that you would grant us the peace that passes understanding. I pray, Father, that you'll give us favor with men and with you, O oh God. 
I pray, Father, that you would give us help, Lord, both physical and spiritual help, Lord. Then, oh God, I pray that you would increase our faith, Lord, increase our belief in you, increase the strength that we need to keep holding on, to keep standing, to keep believing, and to be and to keep crying out to you, oh God. Yes. Guide me, oh thy great Jehovah. For we are pilgrims in this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold us, oh God, with thy powerful hand. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 God bless each of you as you go through your night. I do want to appreciate and recognize the, the, the challenges that you may have had to get to this service and the challenges that you may have had to stay. Because I've had my own. But I tell you what, it's worth it. Serving God is worth it. And so I pray that tonight you've been blessed and that you have had the um, encouragement that you need to go on. A little while longer, the encouragement that you need to believe that God is not a man, that he should lie, or the son of man, that he should repent. God bless each of you tonight. Anyone who wants to, early rises, meet us here at the same location in the morning at 7 Eastern time, tomorrow and Friday, 7 Eastern time, and then back here on Saturday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern time for our regular church service. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.